Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So hello and welcome to yet another Charlton Live Lockdown Podcast. I hope you're well. My name is Louis Mendez and we've got a packed phone line for you once again as we get ready to talk about some of the big topics uh, this week. There's been a potential changing of hands of ESI uh, announced yesterday. Uh, we also heard Lyle Taylor's views on uh, ESI once more, which we might chat about. Also, of course, the EFL uh, mentioned... Uh, well, somewhat of a plan for how we may proceed if games cannot be played. So I think we need to talk about that because as it stands, it sounds like we're uh, going to be deep in the doo-doo if things do carry on like that. And then, of course, finally, I did promise at the end of last week's show, I mean, it's one year coming up uh, to one year. Can you believe it? Since the playoff final win uh, over Sunderland. So we're going to relive that game and we've got a special guest on the line to do just that. So let's bring in uh, the people who are with us uh, this afternoon on the pod. First of all, uh, Mr. Mr. Reliable, it's Tom Wallin. How you doing, Tom? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Yeah, I had a good morning. What have you been up to? Uh, bottomless brunch. Bot- I'm in the middle of bottomless brunch. Yeah. So I'm just having a quick quick break and then back into that. Lovely. What are you drinking? Uh, Prosecco. Yeah. Which, Sums yeah, you up. not a fan, no. but, you know, got to get it done. There we go. Well, you know, you're a trooper. You really are. Uh, also on the line uh, in two is uh, Mr. Nathan Muller. How you doing, Nathan? Yeah, not bad. How are you? What have you been up to this morning? Uh, uh, many things. <laughs> many things. No, not much, mate. Just chilling out, relaxing. Uh, yeah, not much, mate. Well, not much you can do, really. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, went past went past the valley on Wednesday on a little cycle, but um, missed that place. But yeah. um, obviously, you guys are giving my little chalt and fix you, boys. Thank you, little legends. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we're keeping you going in a way. Uh, and finally, I promised a special guest. Uh, when you think back to that playoff final win uh, against Sunderland, uh, obviously there's very mem- uh, very many memorable moments, uh, but there's one line in particular in the commentary uh, that we'll never forget. We've done it, Tell. It's the man who said that. It's Greg Stubbley. How you doing, Stubbers? How you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah. It's great to be on. Yeah, I'm good sure to have you to. here. Can you believe it's been a year since the playoff final? Uh, yeah, I can now. <laughs> yeah, given what's going on, you you, you can because yeah. you just feel like everything just seems so long ago. Yeah, it feels like a year since I left the house. So, <laughs> so there we so, go. Yeah. Uh, excellent stuff. So on uh, this week's show, as I said, we'll, we'll talk about the playoff final uh, later on during the show. But we need to talk about uh, the statement that, that came out of uh, of the club yesterday. Um, you know, normally on a on, on a Friday, we expect uh, a question and answer session uh, with Marion Mihail, uh, the uh, the director currently uh, at the club and the, uh, the the trust came out and said that it wasn't going to happen because we're expecting uh, some sort of information uh, from the board on a change of ownership uh, in ESI and East Street's investment. So finally, this uh, statement came out at five o'clock yesterday. Uh, it said it's from the club's board of directors. The club has received notice 
of a change in ownership uh, at East Street Investments. Uh, ESI purchased Charlton in January from the previous owner, Ronan Duchatelet. A legal process has been in place uh, for the change of ownership to be completed. Uh, this is a positive step for the club and will offer some much-needed stability for legal reasons that we cannot go into any more detail on the change in ownership. We appreciate that supporters will have plenty of questions and unfortunately we cannot answer them at this stage. We ask for your patience during this process and we will update you as soon as we can. So, uh, of course, it's a statement. That, it was an eagerly awaited statement. Unfortunately, um, not many answers there. Um, so, Tom, your initial reaction to that? I mean, do you tread cautiously? Because every time there's been a change in ownership, it's uh, well, it's been pretty crap really <laughs> recently. Um, the wording of the statement is quite interesting as well. The fact it's just going to be a change in ownership of ESI. I mean... That, that there's very little indication of what that actually means at this point. Yeah, I think, firstly, you have to trade cautiously because, as you say, the ownership change has, has not necessarily meant a good thing. And I think also it very much reads as a statement that they hoped they wouldn't have to put out until a time where they could actually give us a bit more information. But clearly things have got leaked over the past couple of days. And because of the rumours, they felt they need to put something out just to explain what's going on. So that's why I think, as you said, the statement doesn't really offer us that much. It just tells us what a lot of us thought we knew anyway. Um, it'll be interesting, I think, as I tweeted yesterday, it'll be interesting to see what that change is and who the people coming in or going out of ESI are and then what it means practically for the club because, as we've said on these podcasts pretty much since lockdown, it's we don't really care who owns the club. I don't really care what they're called or where they come from or anything. I care about what happens to the club and how they run it. And so I think it'll be interesting to see once we get confirmation of what that change is, actually practically what difference does that make on the pitch? Are we a little bit more financially secure? Do we know that bills are being paid and wages are being paid month by month? And if we know that, then at least we can start to concentrate on the football which is again as we've said week by week something that we just want to be able to do on the pod mm. obviously it's hard to do during lockdown because there's not a lot of football but it would just be nice to be talking about on the pitch as opposed to all this stuff off it for a change yeah I mean Nathan I mean it's clear that there has to be some form of change that whilst there's this uh, this standoff between Matt Southall and Tanun Namir the club's uh, going nowhere quite quickly uh, you know there's, there's there's plenty of concerns over what's going to happen um, I mean, what's your general feeling at this moment? Are you, are you cautious? Are you optimistic? Um, yeah, I mean, cautious. I'm not a fan of that word at the moment because that's what they say in a daily briefing every bloody day, don't they? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, I've said to you boys off, off air before and stuff. It's just, it's just a bit boring now. Do you know, it's just, it's just like Groundhog Day. We, we don't really know what's happening. But in terms of the statement, I mean, they can't really say too much because obviously I assume if something is happening then you've got all legal bits and bobs so I know we all want to know everything but there's obviously certain things that the, the club can say so they're sort of damned if they do damned if they don't with that statement but um, I just think like everyone else and just sort of like what Tom says really is just just when it's sorted and then worry about on the pitch matters if we ever get to that stage um, and then we can all move on really and it's just it's just like, I mean, if you cast your mind back to when it all went through, apparently, and you thought it was a new beginning, and then we're back at, you know, we take one step forward and take 98,000 back. So, um, that's a bit of exaggeration. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, but that's what I mean. So I'm just like, with Tom, really, just, just get it all done. You know, if, if if Matt's not here, or Noon's not here, or if neither of them here, just whatever, just 
just crack on because mm. we just want to get back to the get back to basics, really. Yeah, I mean, Stubbly, obviously, it's 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 the first time you've been on the pod for a, for a long while. Um, first, so first time really, you can come on and tell us what you've made of the last few months because obviously, since since we've gone into lockdown, we've been doing these shows, and it does feel like we've been repeating ourselves a bit, or only just with the. The, the content changing ever so slightly because every now and then someone's trying to sue someone else so it just changes but the overall picture over the last few months has been one of chaos um i mean how, how have you seen it how, how frustrating have you found it uh especially with no football to to at least take our mind off it yeah i think chaos is the, the perfect way of, of summing it all up really um the most frustrating thing for me was when Southall and ESI came in, they talked about stability. They talked about we want to provide the club with stability, with Lee at the helm, and and to to try and get Charlton not just necessarily up the division, but just just to have a future. And the most frustrating thing for me was the fans were very loyal at that point. Uh, you know, you look at January and you look at the way they welcomed Southall into into their club and the the, the meetings that happened with him. And you know, on, on on paper, it looked like he was doing the right things, turning up to these things. But behind the scenes, there was always this unrest, um, whether it be through through some of the players or the staff, and, and no one really knew the truth. No one knew what was going on, but we always sensed something wasn't right. And looking back, it was because we're under this embargo. It's because certain people hadn't gone through EFL um, proof of funds and things like that. And just looking back, it's it's crazy to think that this is what we all experienced behind our back. <laughs> you know, when we were losing these games um, at the end of February, it just didn't seem like Charlton to me. It didn't seem like... So it's, it, it definitely seemed like something was wrong in the background. And, and looking back, it's easy to look and, and realise what was going on. Um, and that's what's, what's most frustrating now is that, you know, we're talking about someone else potentially coming in now and someone else giving Charlton a little bit of, of help potentially. But we're all cautious. We all don't know what to expect. We all want the best for the club. And when there's no proof in the pudding right now anyone could come in and it could still be the same situation and and the fans and the staff they, they don't deserve this whatsoever mm, yeah that's got to be uh the most frustrating thing about it i mean tom we have seen over the last sort of well 12 hours or so not even that uh this morning um you know one name one name that's been floating about uh uh, quickly debunked, but uh, Lawrence Bassini, of course. I mean, we we know he's got some form of connection with Matt Southall, so we know his name has been around this whole mess. And there was rumours that, well, there was a an invoice purporting to come from his company that was uh, sent towards the, uh, the the club as well. Uh, I think um, Neymar claimed uh, claimed I think it was that that Matt Southall owned, owed him money, or so. I don't know how true that is, but I mean, his name has been about. Um, I mean, it's clearly, I mean, like Richard Corley said, he did have some interest a while ago, um, and uh, but that, that wasn't going to go through. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see his name popping up again this morning, but it doesn't sound like it's a goer, does it? Which is a good thing, because he's exactly the sort of person we, we don't need muddying the waters further. I was going to say, you say interesting that his name's come up again. I'm not sure that's the word I'd use, and... When you mentioned that you know he's got a connection with Southall, from from what we've heard, then that again puts you even more concerned. I think he's he's someone I want absolutely nowhere near the club. Um, and and like the other boys have said, really, it's something that needs to get sorted. You know, we've said it week by week. Um, we you know we praised the fact that that Roland would be going and, and new owners would be coming in. And you know, I don't uh, criticise any Charlton fan for feeling that way after what we'd had to put up with, but. It looks like again that we're 
you know, in potentially even more trouble than we were under Roland. So it's, it's natural to them want something to be resolved yet again, even though it's so quick after the, the takeover happened. But when you see a name like that and, and given his past in football and, as I say, the, the company he keeps, he's not someone that I want in. So it, it's something we discussed, I think, when ESI first got announced as the takeover. Is it a question of better the devil you know? And you looked at Roland and you went, well, actually, probably not, because how much worse can it get? And I don't think anyone could have predicted some of the output, the kind of output that we've had over the last few months. But given where we are now, you know, again, I go back to what I said right at the start. You just want someone who comes in and it's just a bit silent, really. We don't, we don't want to be talking about them. We want them to come in. We want them to be supportive of the club, of course. Then you just want to let them get on with it behind the scenes. You know, if you think of any of us in our jobs, are we that fussed about who owns us or who manages our business? Probably not, really, because they just deal with the strategy at the very top and. You know, particularly in a sport like football, you know, we're all in it to watch the players on the pitch and to enjoy the game. And it's so frustrating having to come on week by week and discuss everything off the pitch. And yeah, I'm, it sounds from what Rich is saying that, that uh, he won't be involved too much. And I think that's probably a good thing. But as we've all said, we need some sort of change. And let's hope that the ESI announcement is a positive one. Yeah. Well, I mean, because this, this, Nathan, this document concerning Lawrence Bassini is quite old. Um, it is, it is, I mean, we, we've been talking about over, over the last few weeks, some of the, some of the confusion that surrounds some of the stuff that comes out and the timing of this coming out is particularly weird. So we saw this, this, this announcement from ESI yesterday that, that ESI is going to change hands and it's looking like a positive move. And all of a sudden this, um, you know, this document that purports to show Lawrence Bassini agreeing to buy the club gets released today when, when like we say, it's old. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange, the timing of it, do you think? I mean, it, I mean, it just goes to show, to prove to me that there, there are people trying to muddy the waters here. Um, and I'm not saying the person who put it out at all, because I know Dodgers, um, you know, the guy Dodger who put him out, I met him at the Valley, he was at the Valley that night that Southall, uh, was getting kicked out. You know, we we were there, and, and and I spoke to him there. He seems like a a nice enough chap, and um, you know, I know we know he's well connected as well. He was on the um, even that he was on the phone to Lee Amos, so he knows people involved in the situation. Um, so I'm not saying it's him, but clearly whoever decides to leak this stuff has decided to put this out and muddy the water. And it's just it's strange that he'd want to do that, isn't it? I mean, you know, do I think it's a coincidence that it's come out? No, look at from in my opinion, it looks like you say um, it's been put out there on purpose. And I think like, I only saw saw it recently, but I know it's been discredited by people you know who have sources at the club. Richard Corley, Alan Nixon yeah, from exactly. from the Sun, and yeah, exactly. And these people are respected people, so I think I'm gonna believe these guys because obviously I'm pretty sure. They won't say anything unless they're they're pretty sure it's sort of concrete because <laughs> obviously that's their job, right? But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not. I, I just take it with a pinch of salt, and I, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everything will come out in the wash um, one day, uh, whenever that is. Um, I hope it's sooner rather than later. But things will come out in the wash, and I think Greg made a point in terms of like the fans and stuff. And I think the problem is with all this stuff going about um, new owners and stuff. The problem that's going to happen now is if we do, say, get a new owner or it's a change of hands or whatever you, however you want to play it, the problem we're going to have now is you're going to have fans who are going to be scared. People are going to be apprehensive. 
of any of this new owner, if there is one, or if there's a new shareholder or whatever, they could be a genuine person. But naturally, now we're all going to be a bit dubious. Um, and that, I mean, in terms of Bassini, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he's had dealings before in football, but surely, surely not. He's going to mm. if he if he passes the fit and proper person. Says, mm. I mean, come on, Roland McDonald's going to be able to do it. Yeah. Roland McDonald, Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Well, no, sorry, <laughs> and we we could probably draw. I mean, we I mean, we've discussed Bassini because obviously it's been the talk of the town. But really, I mean, we can draw a line under it because it's not going to be him. Yeah. Um, exactly. So we we don't need to worry too much about that. I guess it's just like I so say. I just think that's quite an interesting point because of the misinformation that gets spread by by parties who have. You know, irons in the fire in this case. You know, I mean, I mean, it's probably we as a show, and I know me as a uh, as a person, I get stuff that gets sent to me from both sides. It's probably dried up now because I I, I tend not to share it because it's normally a load of nonsense. But you know, I, I've seen stuff from the near near sides trying to slag off Southall, and then I remember towards the end of the week, I've still got the we've got the emails here. Towards the end of the week, when it all kicked off, there was loads of emails that came into our in, into the Charlton Live inbox, uh, clearly from the Southall side trying to debunk um, to noon the mere. Now, of course, the, this sort of information, a, I mean, if if they if people want that information out there, they can just put it out there rather than expecting everyone else to. to to, to hold the legalities of it. Also, looking at not a lot of it actually proved much anyway. I think it's all just a bit of mudsling and see what see what would stick. Um, the the only thing I never I never mentioned actually because when we got like we weren't the only ones, but people got these emails trying to show um, how bad Tanoon is in in this case. And like I say, I've had so much stuff trying to show how bad Matt Southall is, but it's not my position to take on the legal, the legal situation of accusing people when it's an argument between two separate people. But one one of these emails, I mean, it's a slightly interesting one because you remember on when this first happened at the start of the week, you know, Matt Southall was trying to imply that he thought Tanun Namir was unhappy with him allowing Lee Boyer to sign a new contract. So trying to be all pally with, with uh, Lee Boyer. But this email here, <laughs> and the only line I'm going to read out of this entire email, which is sent to try and slag off um, Tanun Namir, is Lee Bayer is also paid this amount of money, which was increased from this amount of money a year, taking home approximately this amount of money a month, and has managed to win just four games in the last 25. Maybe that's for some perspective. I mean, it's like, how could you try and be pally with uh, with um, uh, with Lee Bayer in the first week, and then you're sending emails to the media slagging him off? It's crazy, isn't it? Well, someone who appears to be supporting your side, at least... Uh, uh, stubbers it shows that you know it's all got quite nasty and confusing and it shows the character of the sort of people that we've been dealing with over the last few weeks yeah i mean stuff like that just makes you so angry i mean to be honest everything that's happened over the last however many months with with esi has made me personally so so angry because you know the, the loyalty of, of the supporters and and the staff like bowyer and, and and people like that has not been repaid whatsoever and you know, when, when Bowie was offered this new contract and he signed this new contract, that's probably the only bit of stability in that sense we've, we've, we've had at all over the last six months was that Bowie has got a new contract, Jackson's got a new contract. Um, but then to, to hear things like that or to, to see things that, you know, the players talk about um, what, what happens in, behind the scenes, what things they got told, got told that they might not be getting paid and things like that. It just makes you so angry and, and so frustrated. And, you know, and, and this is where our club just doesn't deserve, you know, all these comments in the press that are getting leaked out 
or, or not even in the press in, in most regards. It, comments getting leaked out by various sides and it's it's all a mess. And you hear what Bowie has to think of it. He says, I wish this was done behind closed doors. I wish we could be grown-ups about it. And I think the fans feel the same. The fans just want to know if they've got a football club and want to know if the staff are going to be paid because at the end of the day, like everyone's so worried about this season and what could happen to us if we go down to League One and all that. We also forget about certain management and certain staff will they be made redundant will we have to start again as a football club and it affects so many people and for it to be about two almost like two or three people just having an argument it just it angers the hell out of me so god only knows what it does to to people like Bowie as well yeah it must be so so frustrating so we're waiting with bated breath to find out what will become of this ESI changing of hands and we'll we'll see we'll see what happens hope you know maybe we'll know more next week hopefully uh we'll have some we'll find out more in time for next week's podcast but we'll wait with bated breath but i mean before we go on to talk about the efl we do have to mention uh lyle taylor's appearance on the beautiful game podcast uh last night so uh it was on instagram but it's like a video so you can watch it you can watch it like i'm on instagram as well so i was able to watch it but i don't think you have to be on it uh to watch it but um Oh, it was absolutely brilliant. So I, I shared I shared a clip on um on on my Twitter page last night of Lyle Taylor talking to uh, the Beautiful Game podcast. I definitely recommend you go and have a watch of that after this. But some of the stuff he was saying uh, about the, the the club as a whole and about Matt Southall, uh Namir, to a lesser extent, he only said he doesn't know enough about him, so he he can't really say stuff about him. But he, he, I mean, the, the, he, he, he was saying that Matt Southall, this is Lyle Taylor saying that Matt Southall was a fraud. Uh, he says he knows a lot about him. He says he knows a lot of people who've dealt with him, who, who say stuff about him, you know, who've had past dealings with him. So clearly, um, he, he, he said he saw, he, he saw the alarm bells ringing uh, from early on with Matt Southall, um, Tom. Um, I mean, Lyle, his future is clear. I mean, it's, I guess it's up in the air. He's, he's not going to be here, if we're being totally honest, after this, which is probably why he feels he has this freedom to go and and say these sort of things. Um, but it, it was it was absolutely brilliant to see him to see him speaking and, and you know so can, so candidly like that. Yeah, and for a player that's usually so so quiet on social media and so <laughs> reserved, it was um, yeah, it was fun to see, wasn't it? No, I think. Um, Look, as you say, I think if we're all being honest, we know he's probably off in the summer. I don't think there's really any chance of us retaining him, even if we stayed in the championship. So he's obviously able to talk with a certain amount of freedom. And when you factor in the fact that, you know, contrary to what I said there and uh, slightly joking, that obviously he likes to, you know, to make his feelings clear about certain subjects and he's very opinionated, then, um, yeah, you know that he's going to be pretty candid. But to come out with some of the stuff he says, like you say, accusing Matt Southall openly of being a fraud you know there's lots of people who are saying things on on twitter and as you spoke about there the emails that get passed around and the sort of backbiting from the various camps to try and kind of undermine the other camp there is lots of people out there who say very similar things and claim to have evidence you know to to back that up but for a a player to come out and, and openly say that it's you know as fans you know i think there is a large proportion of fans who would feel that you know Matt Southall perhaps hasn't been quite the person that they thought he was when he first joined the club um that's but, one you know, way you're putting quite, it blimey <laughs> yeah I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can um unlike Lyle but to, to hear a player come out and say that you know you don't often get a player being the voice you know 
often they're very media trained and you know they'll come out and say um what happens off the pitch you know that's of no interest to us we focus on playing football but you know he's had a month without being able to play football and here he is calling out one of the executive chairman or executive whatever he is of ESI and calling him a fraud so yeah I mean as a Charlton fan fascinating to see um but uh yeah, it was uh, it was good fun, wasn't it? Good fun. Yeah, well, so yeah, so like I say, make sure you go and check that out. The beautiful game uh, podcast. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, we I've retweeted the link uh, to the to that. So make sure you give that a watch after you've listened to this week's uh, chat on live. So the final thing I want to talk about before we get into a reminiscing mood again, um, Naif, is obviously this EFL statement that came out on Thursday. Um, now the, uh, the 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 way the season's going to potentially play out now. You know, I believe the players, Saturday, I believe the players have been in uh, for testing today down the road, down at Sparrows Lane, um, coronavirus testing. But, I mean, the the, the recommended framework uh, about what could happen if, if the season doesn't go ahead. So I'm just going to read a few lines of this EFL uh, statement. So resuming the season uh, in the existing format remains the most appropriate course of action. Uh, from a sporting integrity perspective. But the board accepts there are circumstances that may lead to curtailment, uh, as has been demonstrated with League Two, who, as we know, have already voted to end the uh, uh, the, the season, um, or a situation sub- subsequently transpires whereby the season is unable to conclude. For example, if we start playing, but then all of a sudden it has to stop. Um, in that case, so in, in, in the event of an early curtailment, final divisional placings will be determined on an unweighted points per game average. So, you know, it doesn't matter how, how, how well you've done at home or away. It doesn't matter who you've played either. It's where you are at that point in the table, uh, you know, divided by the amount of games you are, you know, points divided by games, basically. Everyone in the championship has currently played the same. So Charlton wouldn't move, even if it was uh, weighted home and away. Uh, we still don't move. I've, I've worked that out for us. We'd still be relegated. Um, promotion and relegation will be retained. Uh, the playoffs should be played in all circumstances, but should not be extended uh, beyond four teams. So if a scenario uh, uh, arises where the playoffs can't be played, the FL board will determine an appropriate course of action. So that's that. The board considers that the majority required to curtail the season in any division, so this will be voted on division by division, should be 51%. So if you have 12 and 12... Uh, I don't know what will happen in that case, but if you have uh, 51%, so if you have uh, 13 teams vote to end the season uh, in the in the championship, that would be that. So <laughs> we'd be uh, in trouble there. Uh, the principle of relegation across all three divisions is, integ- is integral to the integrity of the pyramid uh, from the Premier League down to the National League, provided we have assurances that the National League will start uh, the season, i.e. League Two, the, the club relegated from League Two will have somewhere to play. Um, any regulatory solution should be relevant and specific to the current challenges posed by COVID-19 and reach a conclusion that is clear and effective with the impact and justifications easy for all stakeholders to understand. So, as it stands, Naif, if the season is called off with no more football played, Charlton are relegated despite having been in the relegation zone for one game and being two points from safety and there still being nine games left. What do you make of that? Absolute rubbish. Honestly, mate, like, I was looking, you know, the, the 13 teams, right? If you look at it, it's a silly rule for me because if you look at the table and realistically, everyone's going to want to finish the season, right? So you're going to have 
the top two, they're going to want to finish the season, yeah, and then probably as in as in end the season, you mean not play uh, it? Yeah, because yeah, no, yeah, because they'll they'll finish it. The only ones who are really, in theory, going to want to play the season out are the bottom three, which includes us, and maybe a cluster of four or five teams outside the playoff places. Everyone else would rather just end the season out. The ones who are like 12, 12 to, I don't know, 16, like Birmingham and all that, they don't care. They ain't got nothing to play for. They'll just get an extra couple of days off, every couple of weeks off, wouldn't they? Wigan and Hull, they ain't going to vote to play on. So there's no way you're going to have that. And then what you're going to have is, look what happened in Scotland. You're going to have tactical voting. It happens in life. You ain't ever going to get away from that. And that's a fact of life. Mm. So for me, we've been royally done over, to be polite, and then, um, and we've just got to sit there. And like you say, we've been there, been in there for what six days. And how can they say? They, how can they say the last nine, last nine games don't change anything? I put tweets out. Look at Villa last year got promoted to twelfth. Two mm. people got relegated from League One last year. Who Plymouth who were like twelfth. Yeah. How, how can they say that? I think Wimbledon was something like eight or nine points adrift at this point exactly. last season, and they stayed up. Exactly, and the momentum is such a big thing. If you go on a three-game run. And plus also, we're playing teams around us, Bose is probably in January, or maybe even the beginning of March, he's looked at the end games of the season and said, right, these are the games we've got, this is what we're going to go and aim for to win out these games. So the games before we we lost the Borough, we might have tried to play for a draw, thinking, oh, it would be good to nick a point here. But then, if we knew that the season was going to end like now, which I know no one can envisage, but then maybe he would have been a bit more adventurous. And it's like so subjective to try and just cut the season and go, yeah, that's where he deserved to finish. Yeah, he deserved to finish after 37 games, but season's 46. And I know there's rules and all this, but this isn't a, this isn't a normal situation. And I think we've got to try and do anything in our power to, to try and get the games played. And don't get me wrong, if we were 16th and we were safe, I'd still probably want to play it, because, you, you know, it's boring just not doing anything. But if you leave it up to 51% people voting, there's no mm. way... I can see that we're going to get 12 other teams to vote in our favour. Never mm. in a million years. Yeah. Well, stop it, stop it. Because obviously there's a hell of a lot being said by players as well. You know, I mean, the, the most the most important thing has to be the safety of the players. And that's what clubs... Clubs should have been asked to vote in a situation where the only thing they were speaking about at that time was the safety of the players. You know, especially for... You know uh, the the BAME players who statistically, you know, in, in, out there in the community, more BAME BAME people have been affected by this and died from this than than white people. Uh, I don't understand the science behind that, but that, that's the situation we're in. So that they they may find it even more. You know, they're, they're being asked to go and put themselves even more at risk than other people as well. Um, it seems unfair that all of a sudden the club have to have at the back of their mind, oh my God, we're going to lose loads of money if we get relegated here without the chance to protect ourselves. When really all they should want to be thinking about right now is protecting their players. And if they don't think it's going to be safe to play on, they they should be able to vote to not play on and find a way of finishing the season or deciding the league tables in a more fair way, surely. I completely agree with, with what you just said there and also with what Nate's been saying. Um, that's something that that's, I think been forgotten about is player safety and I know that sounds ridiculous but you've got to imagine this situation that let's say let's use Charlton as an example Charlton players are in right now if you're um, someone who believes that you you know I'm a bit worried about going out at the moment someone like George Lapsley whose whose girlfriend is um, is pregnant 
um, he'll be really nervous about returning to um, normal day activity, shall we say, such as training or, or playing football matches. So he's in a situation where he goes, he could easily turn around to Bo and go, look, pretend I've got an injury and tell the press I've got this injury and I, I can't play, but in truth, I don't want to play because of coronavirus. But he's, he's going to be thinking now, if I do that, that'll look bad because I have to play games to help Charlton stay up. And that, for me, is what's wrong. You look at, um, I think it's N'Golo Kante for Chelsea has, has turned around and gone, I, I don't want to play whatsoever. That's fine. And they'll get someone else in. That's, that's fine from their perspective. But even that feels wrong for me. And as we're talking about Chelsea, who are in the Premier League, um, competing for a Champions League spot. Um, so it does give players an unfair... It's almost like an ultimatum, isn't it? It's, it's like, oh, if you if you want to play, then you play. You have to play to keep Charlton up. Or if you don't want to play, then we'll just cancel the season and you get relegated. And that's where it's wrong mm. for, for players' point of view. And then from the fans' point of view, I mean, they've pretty much summed up the way we feel. Like, you know, you can't, you can't base the season on points per game or anything like that because it just doesn't work like that. Sport does not work like that. That's not why teams sign up that's not why fans want to watch football or want to watch sport and when situations like this happen of course there's going to be an issue and you're going to upset somebody but to do it on something that isn't concrete that isn't you know like we we spoke off air about how we could play one game win it and then all of a sudden we're safe and even that feels wrong you know there's (laughs) got to be something in place where you go okay when football can return this is the situation or you know it can't be just mm. oh you're going to relegate and we'll, we'll start from mm. league one because well, that for me is not right that, 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 that's what that's my theory about this and i'm sure i said this really it might even have been when we were before lockdown we had the show in the in my kitchen where we were talking about some way of getting out of this i'm sure that yeah, there is an issue with player contracts and we could be in a situation... Say, say we're in a situation where it's not deemed safe to play football for another six months. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm no scientist. I'm just plucking a figure out the air. Of course, Lyle Taylor will be out of contract and other teams will have players out of contract. But there is a precedent for squads changing during the season. It's called the transfer window. So the only difference here is maybe having an extra transfer window. Obviously, with the current situation Charlton are in, it'll probably make it even worse for us. But at least it's a way of making sure that we play to find out who uh, who stays up rather than not having a chance at all. You know, if we if we go six months down the line, then finish off this season, then we can go into next season and everyone knows what we're playing for, okay? Everyone knows the rule is that actually you're only going to play each other team once or something. You, you, you're not changing a rule halfway through a season. In, in, if that was the case, at least everybody knows what they're playing for before kickoff. You know, we're not stopping You know, stopping and then just deciding that that's it when no one has a chance to, to put everything right. I mean, Tom, you did a, a good tweet yesterday. We're talking about the integrity. Uh, they're, they're talking about relegation and promotion uh, being integral to the integrity of the competition. But how can you say that? And then at the same time, just arbitrarily just relegate someone when they haven't had a chance to save themselves when someone who's sixth in league one could have a chance to play the playoff because they're actually getting a chance to extend their season and go on and and take our place in that division it seems crazy 100 percent, and that's the point that i come back to now like i'll caveat this by saying it's difficult and there's no way of making everyone happy in this situation i get that and if they choose to set in the situation end the season now and relegate teams now that's the decision they choose to make. But there is no way they can choose to make that decision and say that they're making that decision because relegation is integral to the integrity. Because 
we signed up for a 46-game season. So Charn Athletic said, yep, we're fine. If we're there at 46 games, then so be it. But at no point did we say, ah, but if we're there after 37 games and the season gets stopped, then we'll, we'll accept it. And as I say, this is a difficult situation. It's unprecedented. And there's no way of making everybody happy. But like, I listened to the Guardian football podcast yesterday and Traitor. someone on there made a really good point that... You, yeah, sorry about that. Um, they said you you can't make a fair assessment of the season at this point. Who who have you played from the top six? How many games have you played at home? How many games have you played away? They're big factors in in a season. And I think he said whoever it was. I think it might have been Jonathan Wilson said you set a dangerous precedent of teams now voting not to play essentially because they don't want to. And I completely appreciate that now it's down to safety. But if you get a team from the north choosing not to drive down to London for a game because they feel that the M1 isn't safe, you know, it sounds ridiculous saying it, but it's only a step away from the same safety principle as saying that you can't play it now. So I think really the only realistic way is to all four tiers in in this in English football choose to play out this season however long it takes. And as you say, if that means that they're is no 2021 season, so be it. Because then you make sure that you play your full season for this year and everything, therefore, applies to the whatever the season after next. But the problem is that the Premier League are under pressure from UEFA because UEFA want the Champions League to be done, which means Premier League feel they need to play games to know who's playing in that, which means, therefore, there's a drip-down effect into the other divisions. And you saw it with League Two. League Two chose, they were said, we're happy to end the season, but we don't want relegation. And then the EFL have come out and said, well, no, that's not the case. And yeah, it, it's really difficult. And as I say, I, I don't want to be in that position of making that decision. And luckily I'm not. And I don't think there's any way of anyone being happy. But I don't understand the comment. And I don't understand why they've said relegation is integral to the integrity. And then they're going to apply that rule after 37 games of a season that is 46 games long. Because that's not. Because then next year why not just cut it off after 15 games because they fancy it because oh we'll just relegate teams then the 46 games is integral to the integrity of the season because that's how long the season is so that bit that bit I have a real issue with Mm. and to be honest I don't know what the right answer is if you can't get the season finished I don't know because as Greg said then if we beat if we won our next game and got out of the relegation zone and then a case comes in and it gets closed down and we stay up Obviously, I'm going to be buzzing as a Charlton fan, but that almost feels wrong as well. So there is no, there's no easy way of doing it, but this just feels feels wrong to me. Feels very wrong. Yeah, you're right. Just, just sorry, just, just picking up on Tom's point, Lou. About like you sign up to a season for 46 games, which is bang on, right? What happens if you don't fulfil a fixture? You get done, don't you? Yeah, you lose so you points, get, yeah. Then, 100%. 100%. But, but they're, now, they're, they're now saying that we're not going to be able to fulfil our fixtures and then we get punished, even though we wanted to play our fixtures. So if they, if they want to run, if they're going to curtail this season and run a bloody league and finish a league on bloody stats and data, then there's no point in sport anymore, is there? There's no point. You might as well, I'll tell you what, we'll simulate the whole of the next 15 seasons. Why don't we do that and do it on stats instead? Absolute joke. But yeah, absolute mental. But yeah, I agree with everything everyone said. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Tom's right. I would set a dangerous precedent. I mean, what what's the cutoff for, you know, the next time there's some big disaster, and the football can't be played? What happens if you have only played ten seasons? You know, ten games. What what's what's the cutoff for you? So actually, we're gonna we're gonna start promoting teams. You know, 
Yeah, Chol- Cholton were top of the Premier League after two games in the ninety-eight. Was it? Yeah, the ninety-eight, ninety-nine season. If if coronavirus had come then, would we be declared champions? Of course not. You know, what, what's the cut-off when when you there's take, so much so much as, can change? You take London as an example. It's a sad factor living in London, but you think of something like the London Bridge attacks or something. If Charlton are due to play at home the next day and there's a team coming down from the north, they might say, "Do you know what? I don't feel London safe to go down at the moment." And then what happens? Who do you punish then? from something that's completely different outside of football, got nothing to do with it. And you can't say to that team, well, it's absolutely fine to come down in London. So who do you punish then? And it just opens a slippery slope for people to say, do you know what? I don't fancy playing that game because I don't feel safe. And yeah. sometimes for completely legitimate reasons. And I think like, even if, if they're so, like, like you said, Tom, to keep it to be integral of the integrity of the league then finish the bloody season whether it whether or not right, let's say we don't play another game and we go right 1st of January is where we're going to carry on the season so be it sod you for sod the Champions League it's a game of football yeah. like, but the thing is is that the, the whole thing is focused on money and not and yeah. football not the sport not the fans it's based on bloody money and that's the re- that's the main key of this that's what I don't get why are they so obsessed with starting next season there's absolutely no need to. Next season hasn't started, so don't yeah. worry about it. The world's not going to end in five years. Like, do you know what I mean? What happens if it? What if it, we just have like we finish the season like in January to next May? Yeah, you have a couple of months without football, and then it gets back to normal. But why can't we change the season? Why does it have to be August to May? Why does it have to be like that? Well, the Sweden, not Scandinavian countries, do January to. March to something, don't they? It's all going to be screwed. To... It's, it's going to be screwed up over the next couple of years for the the World exactly. Cup that's going to be in December anyway. But look, let, let's draw a line under it. I think we've all had our say there. And um, the first forty minutes of this show have been so negative because we're getting uh, we're getting screwed left, right, and centre here. Unfortunately, as a, as, as a fan base, and um, let's have a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll focus on something a little bit happier. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cholton to get it back to 2-2 here. Lyle Taylor's already scored twice this season. Can he add a third from the penalty spot? The referee blows the whistle. It's a traditional slow run up from Lyle Taylor. A huge moment here at Oakwell. He gets up to the ball now. He hits it with his right foot and he scored! And Lyle Taylor gets his third goal of the season and bring the Addicts back onto level terms. It's Barty 2, Cholton 2-2-2-2-2-2. Right, so welcome back to Charlton Live. We've discussed all the miserable things that have been going on around the club and in the uh, football world recently. But, you know, it's it's still unbelievable. But we're coming up to a year now this week uh, since that 
playoff final against Sunderland uh, last season. Um, Patrick Bauer's winner in the uh, in the last minute, almost the last touch of the game. Absolute dreamland we were in. Um, the stuff that dreams are made of to see a club score a 94-minute winner uh, at Wembley Stadium. So we're going to hear the highlights uh, once again shortly to take you back there. But I just 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 before we do that, I just I just want to go around everybody and ask how they were feeling in the build-up to the game because I remember I remember during the the, the, the semi-finals against Doncaster, I was so nervous, so nervous because you know we we were one of the few clubs who hadn't actually been to the new Wembley Stadium. We hadn't had the the luxury of a day out like that for so long. I I. I just wanted it so much that by the time it actually came to the game I don't think I was that nervous and I remember having this conversation on the day and being surprised with myself not feeling that nervous actually just for, for the start of it at least uh enjoying the occasion so Tom I'll bring you in first can, can you remember what, what what you were feeling as we as we approached that 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 big day it was yeah ever since the final whistle against Doncaster to be honest I was just just couldn't wait so I think I spoke about it a few times but me and my granddad missed out on 98 um, I don't really know why maybe because I hadn't really been a charm fan for that long or wasn't that interested in football at that age but didn't go um, and so ever since I've been waiting to go to Wembley and, and go with my granddad and obviously we got close with the Swiss playoff semi-final and it didn't happen and then got close the year before with Shrewsbury and didn't happen so when we got there it was like right we're still able to do this and got the tickets and then it was just a case of almost and it's not the case now but I almost wasn't fussed about what happened on the day it was like and I listened back to the post-match with Dills and Prattley and they were saying you know like we looked at other teams that celebrated after their semi-final win and we thought that's really silly because they haven't achieved anything yet and then when it came to us doing it with the penalties you know everyone's on the pitch and we're loving it but I almost felt like that as well. I almost felt like, for me, I'd achieved everything that I'd wanted in that I got to go to Wembley with my granddad. So we got there and all the build-up was all about just getting there and being in that stadium with him and the game kicking off and actually being able to witness it. And obviously, I couldn't have dreamt of a better result. And if I'd been asked to hand write you know, what happened, I would have said, chance score with a second left to go. But, you know, it, it turned out to be the game of you know, that I couldn't have even dreamed of. Mm. But to be honest, in that build-up, it was just about, just about making, it was stupid things like making sure I got there on time and making sure there weren't tube delays, you know. It was about getting to Wembley and actually being there to experience it as I, opposed to the game itself. I think I got there about half 11. <laughs> got there so yeah, early. yeah, yeah. I think we were there, obviously you were there for press, but I think we were there by probably similar time just because I wanted to be there and I wanted to soak it up and... I wanted to look back on whatever happened, whatever the result was, and say, do you know what? Me and my granddad got to go and see Charn at Wembley, and, and that was what we were able to do. Yeah, I remember actually uh, talking about soaking it up. On, on the day, I, I was out there on Wembley Way interviewing uh, Cholton fans, and uh, I spoke to one of the guys who I'd, I'd, I'd seen his name on, on the forum, actually, a guy called Red, Red Henry, but actually met him in person. And uh, I had a great chat with him, and you know, he was remembering when he when he went to... Uh, Wembley in '98 with his father, who was sadly no longer around, and but he was able to take his son, and how how special a day that was for him. And of course, Nathan, it it was a special day for everyone who, who was there, and not least because they got to see your big face on that on that Sky Bet advert on Wembley Way. But that's it, it, going to Wembley with Charlton is we're not Man City, okay? We're not Man United. We haven't been there a hundred times. You know, for us, you don't go there very often, and, and it is a, a day that as a family or, or the people you go with, you, you, you look forward to those days and you'll never forget those days. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, 
I think just going, I mean, there's, in football, obviously, you have loads of ups and downs. You win games, you lose games, but it's very, you know, you probably have a lot of people who, who you know, support their club for everything, but I've never, ever seen their, their, you know, seen their team play at Wembley. I think when we went there, we were so, what, we were one of nine teams who hadn't played of, at the new Wembley or something, or, or something like that. I can't really remember. But, yeah, along those lines. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, building up to it, I think even before we played Donny, I thought Donny and Pompey would have been the two teams I didn't want to play. I think Sunderland, I just think they weren't clicking, they were drawing a lot of games, and I was fairly confident. But in a strange way, I was the same as Tom. Is that well, I I saw us the underdog, so I wasn't expecting anything. Um, but out of all the, the other three teams, I would have rather have played. Sunderland in the final so it was a bit of a mixed one really and then obviously leading up to it yeah seeing the mug on the face and then obviously I was getting filmed that day so I was with my mate Paul uh, that day which was, which made the experience quite a lot funnier but <laughs> I mean just seeing you know all the other fans excited in the bar obviously you know my late aunt was there as, as well uh, who sadly passed away just after and I mean, look, and like Tom had it with his granddad. It's like moments like that. Even the, the 94 minutes we watched, it was the build-up, it was the aftermath, it was the week before, it was the Donny game. It was just a, a surreal period. And um, it's something that, you know, that we'll, all of us will remember mm. for the rest of our lives. And, yeah, it was an amazing, amazing day. Yeah, we've got, um, in, in our house downstairs, we've got a, a picture collage of all photos only from that day. So with the people we were with, uh, the, the the view we had, how happy we were after, of course, uh, because like I say, it's a day you'll never forget, and, and Stubbly, um, obviously, obviously for, for different reasons, it's a day you'll never forget, because we've got a recording of what you were saying at the end, but to to to, to get to experience something like that with your club, uh, and like I say, we'll, we'll hear the highlights in a minute, but to, to get to experience it from, from your point of view, to commentate on it as well, I mean, that must have been just absolutely different gravy. I mean, it's basically what the guys have, have said so far as well. It's just that whole period was just incredible. And I think you, you when you look back, especially what we're going through now, it, it makes you realise how incredible it just was. From the start of May onwards, it was this high that we were just riding, I think. Um, and I was similar to the guys, really. Like, after the Doncaster game um, at, at Charlton, I mean, that took a couple of days to get over. Um, and then I was coming back to work and people are like, oh, you're, you're going to Wembley, you know, you're coming to Wembley and all this. And even then I was still just riding high. I was just like, oh, I just want to win. I just want to see Charlton at Wembley, blah, blah. And then on the, on the Thursday before the game, um, myself and Terry got asked to do some sort of preview show. Um, and they said, we want to film it at Wembley. And I said, oh, that'd be cool. Like, we'll, we'll go outside and whatnot. And when, when I got there, um, they said, oh, no, you've, you've, we're doing it by one of the stands. You've got to come through the tunnel. And it and it just made my nerves, just out of nowhere, my nerves increased when I walked out at Wembley and saw all this Charlton sort of related things. And I was just like, oh, my God, this has actually come. This just sort of brought it to life, really. Like, Charlton are playing here. We're playing for something that's important. And around the ground, they were doing these... Um, <clears throat> like tests for like um, if, if a team wins and it would say Charlton Athletic you've stepped up and it kept doing the Sunderland one it kept saying Sunderland you've stepped up you've won I just kept seeing the Sunderland one and just thinking no that that uh, hopefully that's the only time I'm going to see this <laughs> it, it, that from that day onwards so from that Thursday to that Sunday I was just full of nerves just mm. full of nerves and I remember getting to the grounds quite late because uh, we got stuck in traffic 
because we were going to the O2 and at the O2 there was hundreds of Charlton fans so to, to get into the O2 and Park was a nightmare and I was just panicking and really sweating and I, I just couldn't couldn't wait just to get into the ground and yeah. once the once you got into the ground it just it just didn't feel right for some mm. reason just, I think his nerves just creeps in but I mean, what a day. What yeah. an absolute day. Yeah, you're right. That was one of the things that no matter where you travelled from in South London, uh, seeing Charlton fans everywhere. I remember getting off the train at London Bridge and there was hundreds of them. And then uh, I think I went, I, would, I did go over to King's Cross in the morning to meet people in, in, in the pub there and have breakfast and Charlton fans everywhere. Obviously, Sunderland fans joining us there, uh, having come down from up north as well and in that, in that area. But oh, it, was, it was just the, the, the Charlton fans everywhere, the likes of which you haven't really seen again. Um, or haven't really seen too often now then I think we should take you back let's have a listen to those Valley Pass highlights uh, from the playoff final at Wembley last year your commentators of course were Greg Stubley and Terry Smith Needy Billick with a header but it'll drop Oviedo's way but it's a scuffed shot that's comfortably taken by Dylan Phillips turned around to his right hand post yeah Navi Sal's at fault we're in perfect angle here Navi Sal for whatever reason didn't track it was Honeyman and I I think Navi Sal being more centre half than a Someone who's, who's playing quite on the left side of a back three. Just allowed him so much space. He's trying to play him offside, but Chong didn't step up. Oh, oh. no, 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 no! Nabi Sar has just scored an O-goal. I don't believe it. He looked up, played a 1-2 with Purrington, and then sent the ball immediately back to Dylan Phillips, who wasn't in that area, and it's... Gone in on the right-hand corner of the goal and Charlton one nil down. Well, Charlton fans trying to get behind their team. It's an early mistake, but it's not the end of the world. It's plenty of time to regroup. And they go again. I just, well, I didn't even see it. I just saw Naby just look up. He's under no pressure. Goes back to the goalkeeper. Just wasn't expecting Dylan. Just let it run under his foot. Carried his run on. Gets the ball. Crosses it across. Oh, and it's a. Uh, Free, almost a free collection. Dixdale and Billick getting in the way. Shot comes back out. Had needed the save from Dylan Phillips after the striker from Ledbetter and Chartner all over the place at the back. Yeah, again, it's just the shapes all wrong. A long forward. diagonal. Navi Sar stayed forward. Sar could flick. Comes to Taylor. Johnny ah. shoots over the bar. And that's the best opportunity for Charlton of the yeah, game so far. And it is an opportunity as well. It's a good flick on from Navi Sar. Taylor maybe just snatched at that a little bit. Took it maybe a fraction too early. Sar inside now to Bauer. Brings the ball forward, chip ball forward, looking for Parker's a decent looking one. Parker heads inside the penalty area, oh, Rebo trying to get there, O'Neill with a good clearance. Comes all the way back to Cullen, lovely ball out to his right to Dickstill. Dickstill looking to take on Morgan, ball in the box, finds Rebo, out right to Taylor, backwards to Rebo, edge of the penalty area, Rebo thinking about a shot. Dickstill comes to Taylor, ball across, goal! The yes, it's Ben Burton with his first Charlton goal at the back post, a simple tap-in. What a response from the Addicts. The going one nil down early doors. They've responded brilliantly and a superb bit of football on the right-hand side comes to Lyle Taylor across to Ben Burton. And what a time to get your first Charlton goal. Fantastic football from Charlton. From start to finish, the ball out into Dickstill, ball up to Arebo, a little one-two with Taylor, and then Arebo picked out Dickstill again. Taylor across the box, Sunderland looking for an offside. Parker couldn't get there, but Purrington met it at a far post and drilled it home. Oh, what a way to make yourself a Charlton hero to begin with. Ben Purrington, the Rotherham low knee, 
at the back post, the unlikeliest of scorers. Touches it out of play, and that, that should, should be, be the final piece of action. And it is at half-time here at Wembley. It is Chelsea 1, Sunderland 1. Felix, a touch on two Williams. Williams taking on his man, cuts inside. Little chip ball across, P- Taylor's there. Oh, he oh. can't head it goalwards or back across. Couldn't just crane his neck enough. And it's away for a goal kick. Four ball. minutes of added time here at Wembley. Any goal now, we think we'll settle it. Looking for a red shirt, Dick Still to his right. Williams further to his right. Still Dick Still. Now goes to Williams. Williams, chip ball across. Parker! Oh, it's flicked oh. off and then blocked away by Flanagan. He went for the flick. And it's cleared upfield to Greek. Turks with him. Parker turns his man and then he's brought down by Osterk. Chunk liver. Free kick with seconds remaining of this game. And they're sending Pierce forward. Charlton will have to send everybody up for this. I imagine this will be the last piece of action in this first half should they not decide to knock it on the addicts. That's a quickly quick taken free kick into Cullen. Cullen. On the Charlton left-hand side, out ball to Aribo. Aribo back inside to Cullen. Cullen trying to take his man on. Chip ball back across. Bowers there, Pierce is there. Bowers with a header. And it's Charlton. Yes! 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 Oh, he's got Oh, Patrick Barr! You absolute German beauty! Woo! Dream lads! Charlton have scored! With seconds remaining! We've done it, Tom. Get in! Come on! What a time to be here here at Wembley! Oh my word! Oh my word! That is unbelievable! You just can't write this chance anymore! Absolutely unbelievable! You just cannot! This is a chance I will remember for the rest of our lives! They just won't give up. They take the free kick quickly. The ball into the box is superb. Just comes down. Just needs a long... Just needs a long German leg. Lovely quick free kick. And it comes for Bauer. Josh Cullen and Aribo combine on the edge. Cullen just got enough space for the cross to the far side of the six-yard box. Bauer ahead of back and then he was blocked away and he swiped at it while he was on the floor and buried it with seconds remaining in this game. And has that sent Charlton into the championship? He just swiped a leg and took a deflection on the line of Flanagan. Now Charlton needs to keep calm. See this game out. See this game out and you're, you're in the championship. I can't sit still. Bowie are going crazy on the touchline. Jackson likewise. These are Charlton people. They are Charlton. There's 38,000 Charlton fans here singing, remembering this moment. Free kick, the goal kick, the centre the restart's happening. Ledbetter's in the centre circle. Can Charlton see it out? Ball to the edge of the Charlton penalty area. Pierce heads it away. Yeah! And there it is! Charlton won! Charlton from Bowie! We're in the championship! Jason Newell, come here! Jason Newell! Yeah! We've done it! Incredible! Oli Groove coming! It's absolutely incredible! Fucking come on! Oli Groove! Oh, Oli! Oli! We've done it! I think I'm still on air yet! 
Go see him. Go see them. Wow. That just, it just brings a tear to your eye every time you hear those boys. I can't, I haven't, I, I that moment, it, it in great, I, I wonder how many times you must have seen it back, the goal from Patrick Bauer, because, you know, that, that those last 10 minutes, I remember that was the first part of that game, I actually felt nervous, the last 10 minutes. We were, I was sat in there for a dis, in disbelief after the first five minutes, you know, the own goal, and maybe for about 20 minutes, I was just shell-shocked. Then we got back into it. And then those final 10 minutes, it felt like the game finally started to open up a little bit. Um, and you're just thinking, you know, once it's ticked over to 93 and a bit, you're thinking, all right, going to be extra time. But to win it in that fashion, Tom, I mean, that is absolutely, I mean, that that is effectively completing club football. Seeing your team score a last-minute winner to achieve promotion in a playoff final, I think is possibly the best it could get other than winning a cup. 100%. Like I say, if, if to, to, for me, getting to Wembley was it. Like, I'd achieved everything I wanted to do. To get there with my granddad was the thing. But if someone had then sat me down and said, you know what, you get a second wish, what do you want to happen? I would have said, right, we do something completely stupid to go one goal down. And then in the with four seconds left, we score the winning goal. And that's what I would have said. And it's hard because, like you said, I have seen that goal back more times than I can even count. But I still can't, and obviously you're never going to be able to remember exactly how that moment felt. And I would give anything to be back there and just relive that second for the first time, not knowing that it it was going to happen, because it was just unreal. And every time I hear those highlights back, you know, we play it every single week on the podcast. And every single time I look forward to it happening, because the noise in the background when that goal goes in... and you didn't have chance for the noise to die down before the final whistle went. So you just had that noise from 93.56 through for about half an hour because the goal goes in, the game finishes, and then you've got tune after tune that are related to songs. So the Twist and Shout song and the, the Earth, Wind and Fire song. And, you know, it was just everything about it was just absolute perfection. And, you know, when I was a little eight-year-old or seven-year-old and I started supporting Charlton, if I'd have known that I was going to have one day like that, I would have been happy, you know? And what we're going through now and what we spent 45 minutes of this podcast talking about is tough. And what we've spent three or four years talking about in the Roland era has been tough. But, you know, if we're relegated and we do go back down to League One, there is nothing that can take that day away from me. There is nothing that can take that day away from over 40,000 Charlton fans. And it was just that moment when Patrick Barrow stretched out that leg and you see the net just move and you know it's gone in there is nothing that can ever take that moment away from me and through all this dark stuff it, you just remember that and it just it will always I hope make Charm fans smile because it was everything you could ever want as a football fan absolutely everything you could ever want yeah it's right I like, I like the point you make about because because we've seen it back so many times you know and I, I mean I love obviously just watching the sky angle I love watching uh, the the sky angle with with the valley pass commentary put on on top of it. I love some of the fans' videos. Some of them are absolutely amazing. That's, there's a great one from behind the goal. I think it was Choice TV who did it, and it just absolute carnage behind that goal. Uh, it's brilliant. But to to try and remember how how it how you saw it in your mind because I I I can just picture seeing the ball coming over and just seeing two red shirts at the far post and thinking there's no way we can't score here. 
and obviously it bounced around a bit and then it went in and i mean my my memories of that is because i was on mic and wasn't the main wasn't main commentator i mean i was aware that i cheered quite a lot during the playoff semi-final and ruined the commentary so i, I knew in my head if we score i can't make a noise but it just came out as absolute absolute tears and there was a, a couple of charlton fans in the uh, in the posh seats just in front of us who, who came and ran and hugged me and I, it was, I, I've never seen anything like it. And then when, when Phil Parry tried to come to me for my comment, I was crying and I couldn't speak. It, it's, it's one of those moments that, that, I mean, that you look back on it so fondly. Nath, can you remember, can you remember the exhilaration go, going, sort of pulsing through you as, as that ball hit the back of the net? I mean, there's a video of you doing it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, to me, even, even if you go, even right to the beginning, the, the, the gut-wrenchingness, if that's a word, of mm. the thing with Dills, it was... Because I was, I was sitting with, with Paul and um, he's one of Dills' good mates and it was just silent because you didn't know if it actually happened. And then this war come up and it was like, right, let's get on it. And then I think it was... I remember when Johnny Williams come on, i become more confident. I'd, he was causing him so much problems, I just knew he was going to score. So when that ball came over, I think it was Piercy with Pat, wasn't it? Yeah. And I thought... All I, could, all I remember seeing is like, just one of you, get your head on it, just call it. And I think Piercy's ducked, didn't he? And then he's edited it down, and then I'm thinking, oh, he's going to shank this the defender, he's going to go out for a throw, and it's going to be extra time. And then it's like bobbled, and then I just remember Bauer's big German leg, like, just <laughs> fall at it, and then it hit the net. But then there was like a second, and you're like, is that really at the onion bag? Like, has that really happened? And then, yeah. As the video, I've done. Oh, I've jumped. I've decided to climb on the seat because I was next to right near the corner flag, and you had the geezer filming me for below. So I decided to jump on the seat, and then in the corner bit, you've got like this big concrete thing. There's like a twenty foot drop or something. So I've <laughs> gone, and I'm like, well, I can't do that. And I remember the police looking up, telling me to get down. But it was mental. I was kissing my mate Paul. Oh, mate! And then after the game, old poor old Finch. He was, I think, he was a couple of rows behind me. He was in tears. Everyone was in tears, but it was. Like Tom said, like no one's gonna ever take that away. Yeah. Um, no one ever take away. But what a day! I mean, spending it with you know, like with my cousins and all that. I was wicked, absolutely amazing, and um, I'm just so happy for everyone who was there. Whether you, or even if you watched it at home, even if you, you know, you watched it at home, the scenes in living rooms. I don't even want to comprehend like how much <laughs> beer was on the ceiling after that. But yeah, absolutely unreal, mate. Yeah. And now, I mean, Stubbly, the, the main reason you're on this week's pod, other than your excellent views on everything, of course, is <laughs> is because. I mean, you've, you've become infamous, you and Terry, from that that clip that we heard just then, the the uh, the commentary from Valley Pass. Um, I, I feel like you just express yourselves the way any other Charlton fan would. You know, you, you Terry was in tears. You were squealing like a deranged lunatic. I mean, it was it was brilliant. And I mean, can you just can you describe how difficult it was to keep it together in to try and keep it together in in that in that moment? I think the perfect way of showing how I didn't keep it together was trying to describe how Bauer scored it and I just paused and said he got his long German leg on it. (laughs) That was the perfect way of showing how, you know, these sort of moments you dream of and and Tom said it quite nicely there, you know, when you're younger, if they say you have a day like that, you always go, oh, that's never going to happen or that'd be incredible or whatever. But throughout that season, you know, we've been driving to all these sort of grounds and and Louis, of course, you've been... Tom and Nate have done likewise. Like you go to these these grounds like Fleetwood and, and Rochdale, and you know we've had bad times leading up to that um, season. You know we've we've had real struggles. We've gone to places 
and lost comprehensively and, and travelled so far on a Tuesday night or certainly in your case, Louis, um, have gone to Huddersfield on a Tuesday night and, mm. you know, we, we've experienced so much in that time and, uh, as a football club. To then come to that day at Wembley and having so many people in the crowd you know so for, for me personally, I was only next to Terry. I wasn't near other Charlton fans. I think you you were probably the only other closest one, and even you weren't that close to me. Mm. Um, but to know, like, for example, my girlfriend was in the crowd with a, a friend of mine. All my best friends were up in the crowd, and then Nathan, Tom, Charlton lot were up in the crowd. Um, that, for me, was the period where everything just came together and I think that we've done it Tell was all about well mainly it's because Tell was in tears and I was jumping on top of him but it was it was a way of saying like we finally got this feeling this feeling of like togetherness or like this feeling of, of, of Charlton <laughs> achieving something that was beyond our dreams and, and that for me is, is something that obviously we'll never forget um and a day that i I just get emotional just thinking about to be honest with you yeah it was absolutely brilliant now i mean obviously because of the end of the game you know i mean it it, it was it was just incredible and and it, it probably is now easy to forget how horrible the start of that game was and it says it all to me that in six months after the game, I still couldn't laugh at that own goal. I still couldn't find it funny. And weirdly, last this like the, the week we've just had, like I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I, I came across that goal on Facebook or on Twitter or something. And I think that's the first time I've actually laughed at it because it was so awful. I didn't even see it in real time. I remember I had problems with my microphone and I was looking at my microphone trying to work out what was going on and all of a sudden I just saw looked up and saw the ball rolling into the net and then you turn around and and you watch it on on the replay and you see what's happened and and just going through your mind you're thinking oh my god you know I've I've been looking forward to this day for for 20 20 years almost you know the build-up to the game's gone on all week and we've thrown it away after five minutes and I was you were sat there absolutely shell-shocked now when you watch it back I can't, I mean, the, the majority of the Charlton fans, after about 15 seconds, a big roar goes up to try and encourage the team again. I, I, I find that, I, I just couldn't speak. I couldn't speak for about five minutes after that happened, Tom, and how despondent I felt at that point. I mean, it, it must have been magnified 10 times for, for, for Dylan and for Naby. It was, it was just awful. I think... For me, looking back now, I remember us a player of the year saying to Naby that if he scores at Wembley, we'll get a tattoo of him on us <laughs> at some point. Um, but at the time, I, exactly the same as you. you know, I was looking down and I can't remember now exactly what my dad said. But in my head, my dad is doing exactly what Tell said in the commentary because I'm looking down or checking my phone or doing something and suddenly someone is going, no, 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 no. And before I know it, I'm looking up and the ball's in the net and... It's that anxious, sick feeling where I'm obviously not from Charlton or that part of London originally, and so my core group of mates from home, none of them support Charlton or anything, so I've had my fair share of stick over the years. And finally, I get to go to Wembley, and this is, you know, this is my day. I get to do this now. And then my team do something like that on that, you know, not the biggest stage, it's not the Champions League final, but in terms of where Charlton have got to in the last few years, that's as big as it gets. And they do that, and it goes in, and I just felt, you know, to quote Russell Slade, I felt sick. 
And I just felt like I could see my mates ripping the piss out of me. I could see us humiliating ourselves live on Sky because Charlton, as all of us know, have had a bad record in Sky in the last few years. And it was just, it was like all of that build-up, all of that good stuff, getting to Wembley, finally doing it, being there, actually seeing it. What if, what if, and I was suddenly like, what if we lose this 6-0? What if we get absolutely tonked? And for that moment, you're right, there was a there was a pause where I think, and I, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but all Charlton fans had that kind of catastrophic feeling in their head of what's the worst case scenario here? And then suddenly they changed and Charlton fans got back behind the team because the noise had been unreal. And I think the best thing you can say, and, you know, I'm not alone in saying this, is that a few minutes later, Dills had that save to make and mm. he knocked that save round the post. And that wasn't an easy save by any stretch. And that killed it all. He had a couple of back passes, which he dealt with despite the Sunderland fans kind of going, Ooh, and then he had that save to make. And suddenly it was like, right, you know what? That's forgotten about now. Everything's back to normal. Mm. And now we kick on. And from that point, for the rest of the second half, from sort of 20 minutes onwards, we bossed that, sorry, that first half, we bossed that first half and we got our goal deservedly so and we went into the break definitely on a positive foot and definitely in the ascendancy. Yeah, because I guess there's only, there's only one, the, the, the one player you want to make a mistake on the big stage because you know mentally they could come back from it is Dylan Phillips. Now, if I know you you ha- have some, you know, no Dylan a bit better than, than most of us and, and he's exactly the sort of character that could bounce back from that. And as Tom said, he made that save. And it just seemed that after a while, we grew in a little bit of confidence and we started to come back into that game. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, look, I've just obviously listening to Tom, obviously just brought back that gut-wrenching moment, just the, the feeling. But Dills is a confident lad. And I think, you know, obviously when Poirot scored, it was a relief. But he's, you know, he's confident he's in his own ability and that save itself... I think without that, I'm not saying he would have gone into his shell, of course not, but I think that done him a world of good. Because, you know, he's worked hard all, all that season. He, you know, it was his first full season against Sunderland where, you know, maybe he could have done better with up at the stadium, like, with, you know, with the goals. But, um, yeah, it was it, it's probably the first real, you know, real moment that he was in the spotlight. I mean, don't if you make a mistake... Like that at home against no disrespect, Berry or not Berry anymore. Jesus, Oldham. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to any Berry fans out there. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's not like you're doing it at home against Oldham, and you know it's in the, it's not as in the press. This is on. This is at Wembley. This is the, on Sky. It's promotion. You've worked hard all season, and will that goal define that season? Um, but yeah, I mean he's he's a confident lad, and then that save. I just felt like Tom said. I think it just changed the. Uh, the mood to say, do you know what? Come on, he's got this. If anything, he he, he, he and the team need us now more than ever, even more so than that. You know, when Pratt scored against Donny, that moment is when the players needed us, and we we stuck by them. And mm. then obviously they paid due dividends. But um, yeah, delighted. But yeah, that feeling. I yeah. just remember. Look, he says in it shows in the video. I just I always remember looking at Paul, thinking. What do we do here? Like, what do, do, do I say something? Or, like, do you know, it was just mad, it was random, but it turned out all right, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah, and as we said, we, we, we've grown back into that game, Stubbers. And because obviously we scored a last minute winner, and that, that, is the, the, that, that is the thing that grabs the headlines, I don't think enough is made about how bloody good our equaliser was. I mean, the movement, the, 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 the one touch passing football in and around the edge of that area between Arebo, Dick Steele, Lyle Taylor to put a cross in. And then Ben Perrington to pop up and score. I mean, that was a superb goal. That was probably one of the better goals, better passing team goals that Wembley's seen in a long time. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about the game was that there wasn't that meant much quality, really. Um, if you if you watch it back as a just trying to put your neutral cap on it, um, there was not there was not many incidents where like a player did a really nice turn or it was such a cagey game. Um, and Sunderland, I thought, started the better. Um, and also we, we spoke about the, the opener. Um, and then after that, I think the challenge just started to settle a bit. I think we just started to to get our game going a little bit. There was a couple of near passes. I think Cullen started to drive the ball a little bit more. Rebo was, was showing a little bit more for it. And that's where the credit comes to, to those players because there was a lot of players who were still in their early 20s, um, even now, obviously. But um, players like Rebo and Dickshield, you've mentioned there too, two young lads who were still in Charlton's reserve team a year before, um, playing at one of the biggest grounds in the world. And, you know, you're, you're spelling that football was great. Um, and that's one of the things Lyle's actually a little bit underrated for was his ability as the season progressed to get assists and get the ball into the box for others, um, which was made harder by the fact that Carlin left and he didn't have a natural um, strike partner in terms of like someone who's going to get goals. Parker was probably someone more of a target man type. But Taylor had that ability to get wise, get into a bit of space and the rebound Dickshield with a lovely little bit of football comes to Taylor and that ball across goal is outstanding mm. it's an underrated ball across um, it's credit to Parenton because he, you know, he's playing left back there's no reason why he should be in there but he yeah. had the had the ability just to, to get on the end of it and obviously once he got there it was a, a tap in but um, I mean for him as well first first goal for the club yeah. started a nice little run for him didn't it because he, he went on to score in the next game as well the opening game out of the yeah. season of Burn Rovers but I don't think he scored since then actually funny enough um, but he did I remember thinking towards the end of last season that he had a few chances I remember where Gillingham he, he drew a good save from the goalkeeper and, he, and he, it was like I'm guessing Bo must have told him to start getting into the penalty area a bit more, and, and it had been coming. Obviously, it paid dividends there. Um, the second half was, you know, I think we, we took off Naby at half time, which I think, you know, the playoffs weren't really his games. The second leg uh, against Doncaster, and obviously the first half of the final, he looked nervous, and he was on a yellow card as well. So, Bo, you made the change, bought on Piercy, um, and uh, yeah, we went on. Uh, of course, as, as as we know, to, to get the winner. But one thing that a, a lot of people think made the difference in that second half is both players, both teams had a player on the bench uh, who had been out injured and who was brought in, a big player for them. Obviously, for us, it was Johnny Williams, Tom, and for them, it was Aidan McGeady, who have since then has decided to come and join a circus at Charlton. But at the time, it was clear that Aidan McGeady wasn't firing and Johnny Williams was. And that seemed to be something that made quite a big difference in those closing stages. Yeah, thanks for coming to me to talk about him. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right, and like obviously watching it back, that's only it only reiterates what I thought at the time. But Johnny comes on, and you, like we've talked plenty of times this season about the difference he makes, and certainly I have. But it seems, and I've watched it back, I don't know how many times he got about fifty thousand that second half. It feels like because he was just picking up the ball every single time, and they couldn't get near him. And they could only get close enough to just drag him down and we could win a free kick. And it happened time and time and time again. And I remember when we signed him, we said, you know, he's that sort of player. He's a bit of a game changer. And we knew he had his injury record and that's why he started on the bench. But you're right, he came on and completely changed that second half. And McGeady came on and all I remember, it seemed to up to me like Johnny came on and built on what was already quite a good side out there on the Wembley turf. Whereas McGeady came on and it was like, we need McGeady to come on because it's not working. Because 
when he came on, he looked still unfit and he was mm. just shooting from anywhere and just desperate to try yeah. and make something happen. He's brought that form into his team career as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seemed much more natural with Johnny. It seemed like he came on and it was like, right, we're not in trouble. We don't need him on. We're bringing him on to add to what we're doing. And, and that's what he did, you know. He built on what we were already doing. We had a solid foundation. Our defence up until the Doncaster playoffs had been solid. Um, and it was like, right, our defence is already solid. Navi's gone off now, so there's no chance of them scoring. So let's focus on going forward and bringing Johnny on aided that. Whereas McGeady came on. And with the score at one all, it's, it's a weird kind of dynamic because technically the balance is 50-50. But it just felt like it was starting to shift in our favour. And I remember it must have got to around 80 minutes and mentally I'm sure a lot of child fans start to think right we're probably going into injury time now so or sorry extra time so how do I cope with that and how do I cope with the nerves and the nerves then started to build um, and then obviously it, it didn't turn out that way but yeah it, for me and obviously it's easy for me to say this because people know what I think but he, he did completely change that game in that second half the way that we were able to take the game to them from that point on um, and it wasn't to say they didn't have chances, but it just felt like suddenly we were on the front foot from that point onwards. Yeah, and uh, I mean we've already talked about the, the, the winning moment, Nath. But I mean that evening, uh, I mean you you came along with me, didn't you, to uh, to, to the pub at, at St Pancras? And I mean that was one of my favourite evenings ever. There were so many Charlton fans still around and and staying out late and just just sell just having that moment to celebrate. I mean you do anything for something like that right now, even if it was just going to the pub, but to 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 spend that that evening with your friends who you've been going to games with for years upon years and you know you finally experience the euphoria or something like that it's it's just one of those moments that makes supporting a club like Charlton so special because they come around so rarely yeah exactly i mean like you say we went to the uh, St Pancras and you know there was sing songs going around and and i think we had a i still don't even know that chap is who we had a photo with but i think he was a listener but it was just like everyone was together and it was oh, it was amazing but i'll have to say i know everyone said it a lot hundred times but the you know the the the, rea- the reaction to the Sunderland supporters i cannot believe how how amazing they were because I'd be a liar to say I would be that gracious when I, if I just saw my team lose in the last four seconds at Wembley. Probably because they're um, so and, used to it by now. They've got yeah. a dreadful record at Wembley. <laughs> exactly. But no, it was, yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was an amazing day. I can't really remember too much after it, if I'm honest. Um, and then I, obviously I do remember getting up the next day when we had to play, somehow play football. But, oh, um, which, which, which was uh, like, um, I think it was obviously Elise was saying that we're not as good on the pitch as we're good on the podcast. So, um, yeah, we, we weren't that great the next day. But yeah, it was, a, it was an unbelievable moment. I still can't believe, you know, it was a year ago, like just going through those feelings. What would I, what was I doing this time last year? You know, a couple yeah. of days before it and, oh mate, unreal. But, yeah, well, hopefully one day we'll have something similar once all this nonsense goes away, mate. Yeah, funnily, funnily enough, actually, the day after, again, I was I was so hungover like the rest of you, but I had to come over to view the house that I'm in, sitting in currently. So it's a good job. I obviously had my wits about me to decide I actually wanted the, uh, the the place. But yeah, I was so hungover doing the show the next day. It's funny listening back uh, to the playoff final the day after the show we did. We we all sound so tired and it was so draining, wasn't it? Uh, and then we went out. We got to play on the Valley Turf the day after in the uh, in the football versus homophobia uh, competition. But but Stubbers, obviously, you know, it's, it's something. It's a time we look back on so fondly now. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, it, 
it may well come to it that we have to separate that day from what follows after it because what follows after it has been as much as of a disaster as some of the years previous to it but no matter what happens from now on no one can ever take those memories away from us and we'll always celebrate this day uh, as long as we all as long as we all breathe yeah and I, I think just even talking about it again and, and hearing the guys say their memories has, has made me a bit happier yeah, same here <laughs> honestly it's yeah. been the last couple of weeks but the, the, the thing is as well is like it, it, it's those sort of days is where it's more than football it's, it's more than, and you know people who don't like football often you know criticise it often say there's a lot of bad things with it and they, they could be right you know there are some politics and we're in the midst of that at the moment with the AFL um, and our ownership of course but days like that is where it's more than football it's, it's friendship it's family um, I mean Louis from, from your own personal um, life as well with, with, with Amy as well like it, it, it's more than that sometimes mm. and that sort of day brought everyone together who's a fan as I said earlier I had family and my, my girlfriend in the crowd um, and so did everyone else there was there was someone you knew there and you could share that experience and when you go through that much joy in that one day of course you're, you're never going to forget it and you know it, the things that have happened recently haven't taken it away but it, it has made me well, not forget but just not remember how good it was how amazing that day was and you know you just you know those sort of days are once in a decade if it, probably more than that once in in two three decades moment like that you're going to get but equally it just makes me desire so much a club that we can just just go and support normally you mm. know and to make those days special you know like the highs and lows of relegation and yeah. and promotion and, and things like that is mm. is what football should be about and a community aspect as well um, so yeah I mean just just hearing those memories again and, and hearing everyone talk about it has brought a smile to my face so hopefully mm. everyone listens to the pod will, will agree with us yeah. as well there we go so I, I, I was about to say I think that would be the perfect way to end the pod you know we've, we've had all the misery uh, of the current situation surrounding the club at the start um, and I thought you know we I, I personally feel 10 times happier already uh, just talking about uh, the, the playoff final but some breaking news which obviously isn't breaking by the time you listen to this because uh, the podcast isn't live but uh, isn't live but the uh, China Athletic Supporters Trust have just uh, made a statement uh, they say uh, the following announcement was made by Charlton on the website about the uh, reading out the board of directors announcements we spoke about uh, beforehand the uh, the trust have now said the statement came as a disappointment to fans hoping for some concrete news on the future of our club speculation as to the third parties involved in the purchase of ESI is rife and uh, the trust have asked for clarity on the position. Uh, we understand they can't go into detail, but they are relieved to hear this, and this is from the club. The club have been informed by Panorama that the information the club has been sold or will be sold to Lawrence Bassini or a company associated with him is not true. So as we were saying earlier, uh, not true, and now the club have confirmed that to the uh, Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust. So, it, it, well, we've already said it anyway, but some further good news to uh, uh, to end the show on. So look, guys, it's been an absolute bloody pleasure to speak to you. You've all lifted my spirits uh, this afternoon um, so thank you to Tom to Nathan and to our special guest Mr Greb Stugley for coming up cheers mate cheers, cheers, excellent to hear from you I've been Louis Mendes I hope you've enjoyed uh, this week's Charlton Life we'll be back next week to discuss well lord knows what <laughs> the rate this club's going on but we'll find out uh, in due course and uh, we look forward to uh, speaking to you again next week Charlton Life Charlton Life <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.